I'll read something from I Hear God Laughing by Hafiz. It's called Spill the Oil. Spill the oil lamp. Set this dry, boring place on fire. If you have ever made wanton love with God, then you have ignited that brilliant light inside that every person needs. So spill the oil. And another one, I am determined. One regret, dear world, that I am determined not to have when I am laying on my deathbed is that I did not kiss you enough. So that's nice. Let, to let you know, there's a, uh, some information in the back about our Coins for Kids project coming up. This Sunday from 2 to 3 here at the ILM Center, if you would like to come and participate in helping put together the project for this, uh, this Coins for Kids project for the Christmas year, if you'd come, we would like to talk to you about uh, projects that you might know that are in need of some assistance in purchasing gifts for children. <coughs> if you know of an organization or you know a group of, of people uh, that do know that, that we might contact. We'll be here collecting information and then seeing how many children we can uh, pull together. I'm not sure just yet of all the funds that we're going to have available to us for this particular year. Uh, our donations have been down just a little bit. I think with all the hurricanes and everything, a lot of people have been giving elsewhere, which is perfectly fine and great. And so we'll let you know as we get closer to our shopping day just where our funds are and how many children we'll, we'll be purchasing for. But I think it'll be Somewhere about 100 children again this year, it looks like. So if you would like to come this Sunday, you're welcome. And we'll, it'll be an hour at the most. And, uh, and then we'll continue on putting it all together and giving you more information as we get closer to the shopping day, which is Sunday, November 20th. And um, on that day, we'll collect here at 9 AM and begin our journey. Probably go to a Target again and buy them out. <laughs> and. Uh, and we do have flyers on the back table there when you come in, listing all the dates and times. So, um, yeah, it looks like this with all the little kids on there. So before you leave, if you want to, you know, pick one up just so you have that handy if you plan on participating in any way. And if you don't want to participate, well, even if you do want to participate in the shopping or planning and organizing, um, if you wanted to simply... Uh, as far as like make a donation with coins or we should call it cash for kids too. Coins or cash for kids. If you want to participate that way, that's just great. Or if you don't want to participate at all, that's just great. Of course, just do whatever works for you. So we just wanted to make you aware of the dates and times and that we're starting to gear up now to move into shopping mode. So. Okay, so that's... Pretty much it. Laura, do you have um, something coming up? Okay. So in the back, there's also the uh, brochure, the handout about Off the Beaten Path. It'll be at the Red Corral Ranch, December 2nd through the 4th. And if you'd like some information, there's quite a bit of information on the handout, but also you can talk to Laura to get further information. And, Bill, you don't have a class coming up this time, do you? No. no. Okay. All right. So we'll go on from there.
we were talking at dinner, and you're done with doing the makeups for the abundance class. You're done. Do, you're done doing the makeup class for the okay. So now he's going to do the makeout class. <laughs> so if you want to join him in making out, <laughs> he's open to volunteers. <laughs> well, you just talk about making out with God, weren't you? That's right. <laughs> I just want to know. You talked about the oil. What about lighting a match? On it oil? did say. Oh. <laughs> Shows you how close I was listening. Yeah, really. <laughs> Next time I'll let you read it. <laughs> Hope I know you too well. That's right. I only listen to myself. <laughs> well, would you like to well, start? Well, I don't know. It was interesting in meditation tonight, there was a lot of things going on within the, uh, the group setting here, and uh, it, was, it was very fascinating to witness. There was a lot of honoring of each soul that was present here, not just in the physical, but souls that were also in higher realms, because there's other beings that come present for the class besides just those that are in the physical. And as all of us gathered together, all the souls gathered together, there seemed to be a few that began to honor each, each one that was coming present. And very soon then everybody was beginning to bow to each other in honoring the light in each other. And as that happened, there was a, a frequency of a new vibration that was being built higher and higher up. And all of a sudden, doors from higher realms began to open and teachers began to come down these hallways into the group. And as they did, there was different teachers from different groups that were coming in, uh, different religious and spiritual leaders coming in, uh, different philosophies, different traditions, uh, some that still exist on the planet today and some that are very ancient and really have been way, way lost in, in time and memory. And, uh, but yet as they all started coming in, um, people started recognizing the brilliance of their light and started bowing to them. And it was, it was wonderful to see that truth is everywhere and loving is everywhere and the spiritual light is everywhere. And if we will just look and find the light in every place and everything and everyone and every tradition, truly we can learn from those traditions, from those philosophies, from those people, from those events that we are in experience in, in this world. And, and I recognized that as they were coming in, I noticed there were Zen masters and different religious traditions from around the world, Christian and Jewish and Islam and all these different religious traditions coming in, all these different spiritual leaders from these different <clears throat> groups. And then I saw different yogis coming in, and it was just amazing to witness. And as more and more started coming in, the light got more brilliant and more brilliant and more brilliant. And after a while, there was just so much loving, so much reverence, so much friendship present in this experience that people were feeling some overwhelmed by it. 
because it was just so tremendous, so big. And as I looked around, I noticed over at one side and then over at another and then in a few other places, there were people that were still going around and they're just acknowledging the light and the people, the souls that were present that first came into the class and really were not witnessing the light of the teachers coming in. And, and so I went over and I began to talk to a few of them, asking them what is it that they were witnessing, what was it that they were looking for. And it was very interesting to see and to witness that each of us in our own way receive exactly what we need, see what we need, hear what we need in the moment. And if we will just accept where we are in our life and not try to be how other people are, not try to believe or follow after other people's teachings and traditions, but really follow after our own truth, where we are is just perfect. And in talking with this one uh, woman that was present, she was looking around and she was trying to figure out why people were looking up and why they were bowing uh, as they were looking up. And I realized it was these teachers as they were coming in, people were acknowledging those teachers that could see them. But the ones that really could not see them were not doing that and they were actually wondering what were they missing, what was happening, and they were going around trying to acknowledge the people that were bowing to the, this, whatever they, was taking place above them, trying to get their attention once again. And it was just fascinating to watch. And so this woman started going around with me. She took my hand and she started going around and she, go, she went to this one man who was looking up and bowing and said, could you tell me what you see? What are you bowing to that I don't see? And the man began talking about this, this uh, mystic that had come in the room that, that he honored and, and loved a great deal from another lifetime and he was so thrilled to finally see him again. And the woman was just looking at him and looking up and couldn't see a thing. And uh, the teacher apparently talked to the gentleman that we were talking to and said, if she'll just close her eyes and focus on the place of loving, she will feel me and then she'll see me. So she closed her eyes after he told her. She closed her eyes and focused on her loving and immediately began to cry. And as she cried, she opened her eyes almost out of embarrassment and she saw this teacher and she just fell to the ground in honoring him and in the love that was there. And the man was trying to get her up and the, the, the teacher said, no, she's in love now. Let her be in the loving and let that loving lift her. You do not have to lift her. Let the loving lift her. And when he said that, everyone... Everyone stopped moving, stopped bowing, and some started falling to the floor, trying to be like this woman, you know, faking it, thinking, oh boy, if we just fall to the floor and start crying, that the love's going to lift us. And the teacher said, it's only true for those that it's true, and for those that pretend, it will never happen. And out of that, I realized how true it is for all of us, no matter where we are in our life, no matter what our journey is, no matter what it is we're looking for, that if we will honor what it is for us to honor, if we will bow down in loving to everything, to everything, 
we will gain the wisdom, the light, the loving, the joy. And the loving of whatever the incident is, whatever the person is, will lift us. It will lift us to another level of awareness, of understanding, of awakening. And so I found it very fascinating to, to witness this and to experience it really firsthand in that way. And when I heard Brian starting to call us back, it was like, boy, I did not want to come back. Because there was a few teachers I knew had come in that I really wanted to go and talk to and see. And as, as he, I heard him say, now open your eyes, I knew we were going to be coming back. And I saw this teacher way off in the back with a whole bunch of people around him. And, and I was thinking to myself, I just want to go say hello. And he was immediately right with me. And he said, so say hello. <laughs> and I went, hello. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. He said, no, you were just going to say hello. I said, hello. And he said, hello. And I am glad to see you. And, and I looked and he was here, but he was also back there with this large group. And I realized in that moment as well that if we are just open to that movement of loving, then it is right here, it's right now, it's present. We do not have to go anywhere. We don't have to go over to that place where it seems to be collected. The loving is right here with us now, wherever we are. And I found that for myself in my daily life, throughout all my life. But the place I found it to be the most dramatic for me was a couple of different places. One, when I was in the hospital and a doctor came in and told me that I had cancer. And I realized that I was, I, I knew I already had cancer and I knew I was going to be told that I had cancer. And I really focused on loving the cancer and loving the situation and loving the moment and loving the person who was going to share with me this news. And loving my parents, that the loving might be with them and help them through this process because I knew it was going to be quite challenging for them. And as the doctor came in and we sat there and he began telling me, I just kept focusing on the loving. I was loving the moment. I was loving the words. I was loving the cancer. I was loving the situation. And I was loving the outcome. I just put loving into all of it. And that was really a transformational point in my life. That day when I realized what it is to love everything, every situation, everyone. I had done that up until that point for the first 26 years of my life to some extent, but not in the same way that I did in that moment. There was something very wonderful and powerful, dynamic that was taking place. I was waking up inside to a new level of loving, of really living and the truth of who I am, which is loving. Looking up only to my own soul, not looking out in the world for help, for guidance, for protection, for understanding. I was only looking up to my own soul and connecting into my own loving and loving myself just as I was in that moment, cancer and all. Loving the karma, loving the judgment, loving the fear, loving the situation, loving the things that people were putting upon me that they thought I was going to be doing, expecting certain reactions from me, just loving it all. 
and then letting the loving continue to move and move in me, around me, in such a way as to assist me in that journey from that moment of being pronounced with cancer further on. And I learned something very profound in that moment about loving, the power of loving, and the availability of loving, and how often we choose other things than loving in our lives. Because in that moment, I realized I could do like so many other people do when they hear they have cancer, and that is go into a panic, break down, why me, or whatever it might be that, that takes place. And I knew I had those options. I knew I had those choices. I had seen it with my mother. I had seen it with others who had been pronounced with certain illnesses. And I could go into feeling sorry for myself. I, I knew how to do that very well. Uh, I had some good teachers in my physical life who taught me how to feel sorry for myself and how to live in that sorrow, be the victim. And, and yet in that moment, I knew I couldn't do that. So another one was the day that my brother died. And that was many years later. And when I was driving, I'd gotten a call, and they couldn't get, in, get him to come to the door at his home. And so I was driving up to Georgetown to find out what was going on and gave them the code to get into the garage. And as I was driving up there, they called and, and told me that my brother, that they had found my brother and he had died apparently uh, during the night. And immediately I began to feel sorrowful and mournful and started to cry some. And I told them I was on my way. I'd be there as soon as I could. And I hung up my cell phone and kept on driving towards Georgetown. And I cried for a little bit. And all the time I was crying and feeling sorry and all, all this remorse and all this stuff was coming in, I kept seeing this, this light, this light just shining, shining, shining in me, on me somewhere. And I kept ignoring it and kept going into the darkness and feeling sorry and uh, upset that my brother had died, and and but this light just kept coming in more and more. And the first remark I had inside was, I looked up to the light. I knew where it was coming from, from my own soul. I looked up to the light and I said, "Stop it! I I just want to be sorry right now." <laughs> and the light started to dim a little bit, and I went, "No, no, wait a minute! I did not mean that. Don't you do that!" <laughs> and the light started getting brighter again. And I realized something there, and that was the light is ever-present with us. Our own soul light, the inner light, that is the truth, that is the loving, that is God present in us, is ever-present with us all the time. But we need to look up. We need to look up and pay attention to its presence, be awake to its presence, and not push it away, and not go dumb, and not get caught up in the world so much or in, our, or in our own process so much that we lose sight of the inner light. God said, have no other gods before me. And I realized in that moment that I was putting my brother and his death and how I was supposed to react and respond to this situation according to the way the world had taught me and the way the world had demonstrated to me how I was supposed to be, 
But I realized in that moment that all of that was drawing me away from my truth, from my loving, from my soul light. And as I began to look and just hold into that loving, hold into that light, everything became peaceful. Everything became quiet. And I actually felt a sense of joy bubbling up from within me. And I immediately went into a little bit of reaction, like, wait a minute, my brother just died. I can't be joyful. And as soon as I heard myself say that to myself, I heard a voice, that still small voice from within, that is the voice of God coming through my soul, say, why can't you rejoice for someone who's coming home? Why can't you rejoice for somebody who's completed their journey and no longer need to be in the world? Why can't you rejoice? For I rejoice that he has left his body and is coming home. Rejoice. Sing a song. Be happy for him. For he is happy. Why not you? And from that moment on, I was fine. I was absolutely fine. And I, I pulled up very soon after that into to where he was re living and saw the gentleman who found his body and the police and ambulance and all were there by then. And they were all coming out trying to console me and tell me and prepare me and whatever. And, you know, I was like smiling a little bit. And, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, I understand. And I know he's fine. And, and this, the, the fire chief came over and says, no, no, your brother's not fine. <laughs> I go, I know, I get it. He's dead. But I know he's fine. And he goes, but if he's dead, he's not fine. <laughs> you know, and I go, no, he's dead. And he is fine. His soul is fine. He is happy. And he turned to me and he says, I wish I had as much belief as you do. And I said, I don't have belief. I know it. I know it. And from then he didn't talk to me. He just went on about his business and did what he had to do. I don't think he knew where to put me. <laughs> so, but I knew it. I knew he was fine. And so the rest of the journey with my brother was really something that was very joyful in many ways. Even when his sons and daughters flew in for the funeral from out of town and everything, it was really a family gathering and joy. And I shared with them, I talked to them about that, and what my brother and I had always talked about, about spirit and God and, and his faith and his belief. And that really helped them to enter into joy for his passing and not to be mournful. So much so that when it came time to, uh, we had him cremated and we, I thought everybody would want part of his ashes to take home and everything and nobody wanted them. They said, oh no, those are just his ashes. You know, he's gone, he's happy, we don't need that. We've got something much better to remember him by. And so they all flew off and here I was holding the ashes, you know. Like, wait a minute, I wasn't planning to have these ashes. <laughs> so I kept them for a while and kept calling people, uh, the family members, and I said, do you all want to come out and scatter the ashes or do you want to have them for a few months and then kind of move them around the, the family? And no, no, he's fine. You said he's fine. Why do we need his ashes? And I went, well, so why do I need his ashes? So it, after a little while, I, Brian and I actually went out and we scattered my brother's ashes in the river. 
And it was just a nice release of the physical. He, I had released him a long time ago in joy. And it wasn't a joy in letting the ashes go. It was just a release. It was just a completion of the journey. And, and I realized that ritual really is a very important part of this physical consciousness. I <clears throat> excuse me. Hmm. I need to drink more water. <clears throat> I can see why ritual is so important to the physical consciousness. It's not important to the soul. Ritual in, in the spiritual sense is not so important. But to the physical consciousness, the emotional consciousness especially, ritual is very important. And I realized that during my brother's uh, dying and the funeral and the cremation and the scattering of his ashes, that there is something truly wonderful and beautiful about ritual, whether it be a religious service, a funeral service, or just you in your own home lighting a candle to meditate or to pray or putting on some music to set an atmosphere for yourself so that you can get more centered into the spirit of your own self and have a centeredness that you might not otherwise have. And ritual truly does help us to become centered and to become aware more of that spiritual essence of ourselves, that divine, living, loving essence of the Lord that resides within us. And I've always loved ritual, but at that time with my brother's funeral and all, I realized how important ritual such as a funeral is for many people. It's a way of saying goodbye and to say I love you and to share with you, share with, with others that, that quality of sharing, of giving and receiving in that moment. And it brings things to a closure inside oneself. But it also opens up doors as well to continue your journey on free of whatever needs to be let go of in that moment. And I remember a few weeks after my brother's death, I decided I was going to go back to a church. I hadn't been to a church service in years and years and years. And so one Sunday I got in the car and, and I told some people I was just going to go grocery shopping and take a drive and um, I went to a church. I went to a church service and sat and the, very close to the front and just participated and shared and sang and prayed and just really got into the whole process of this outer ritual that is service in the world. And it was very uplifting. It was very elevating to me to, to be in that energy, to be in that consciousness, to, to share in a community like that together in, in a way that was focused on one thing. And that was God. And this was Sunday and people were putting God first and they were coming to worship God and to honor God as they felt they had been asked to do by God. And it was wonderful to be present in that energy, to be in that consciousness. And as I left, I had a sense of gratitude for all the religious services of all the different ritualistic practices that exist in the world and how it truly does serve humanity in a very wonderful way, the individual as well as the community. And I also realized how wonderful it is 
that I have my inner spiritual practice, that I can sit down anywhere, anywhere in the world. I can put this physical body down, close my eyes, go inside, and look up to the seat of the soul at the spiritual eye, the third eye center, and see my own inner light, the light of my own soul shining and radiating forth within me, blessing me, centering me in my own loving, assisting me in my journey as I walk through my day. And as I was aware of that, I realized the blessing of my own journey. And that journey for me is an inner journey. It's not so much an outer journey. I used to go to church. I used to go to synagogue. I used to go to the outer buildings that, where people would go to do ritual, to do worship of God, hoping that I would find God there, thinking that somehow in this particular church, in this particular ritual, in this particular book, in this particular reading, in this particular ceremony, I was going to find something of the God that I knew existed, this loving being, this caring, caring creator that I knew inside. I thought I was somehow going to find it out here in the world. And I kept looking and looking. I went to so many different places. And I found parts of what I knew inside, but I never found the wholeness. I never found the wholeness. And I remember one time I was coming out of a Baptist church, and the minister turned to me and he says, so you're new here. And I said, oh, I come here once in a while, but I don't come often. And he says, so what do you think of our service? Do you, do you like it? Do you, are you finding God here? And I said, well, I'm finding a part of God here. And he looked at me and he says, a part of God? What part of God are you finding here? And, and I said, well, the part of God I find here has to do with discipline. I find that you talk a lot about discipline and can'ts and must, and, and, and I find God is present in that. I, I find that that's a way of getting to what you're talking about is God, but it's not the wholeness of God that I know. And he grabbed my hand, and he pulled me closer, and he says, what? <laughs> and I said, I, I don't mean to offend you. I, you know, please, please, I, I'm, I'm not saying anything about, against the Baptist church. And he says, I know you're not, but I want something from you. He said, go sit back down inside. I'll be there in a minute. So I thought, oh, my God, you know, what, what have I done? I opened my big mouth again. <laughs> you know, he's going to send me to hell, I'm sure. <laughs> but that's all right. I've got a nice long list of others before him. So <laughs> I'm sure the devil's got a, a list of invitations for me when I die to hand over to me saying, all these people want you to go to hell. Come on. <laughs> well, they've even paid your way. <laughs> but it's a one-way ticket. But um, so he, he said goodbye and whatever he was doing with everybody. And, and it was like 25 minutes. And finally he came back inside. And, and he didn't sit down. He stood uh, in front uh, on the pew in front. And he kind of knelt down. Kind of, uh, so he was above me looking down at me. And uh, 
He said, so, you think you know more of God than we do? And I went, no, I don't think I know more of God than you do. I think I experience more of God than you experience in your religious service. I, I said, when I hear you preach, when I see the rituals that you do here, I see a part of God, but I don't see the wholeness of God. He says, what is that? You know, you keep talking about experiencing this wholeness of God. What are you talking about? I said, loving. God is loving. You have a part of that, that which leads into the loving, as far as I can see, but I don't experience the loving. I experience the avenue by which to get there, though, that you're, you're talking about. And he looked at me and he said, so you know loving and I don't? I said, I don't know if you know loving or not, but I know God's loving in me. I know it. And he says, why do you think I'm a preacher if I don't know God's loving? And I said, that's between you and God. I don't know. I have no idea why you're a preacher. And he said, well, let me tell you why I'm a preacher. And he got up and he came around and he sat right down next to me and he said, my father was a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. I had to be a preacher. And I said, oh, so you had to do this. He said, if I didn't, my family would have not let me stay a member of the family. I had to be a preacher. I said, what did you want to be? He said, I wanted to be a dentist. <laughs> and I said, so do you still want to be a dentist? And he said, well, I don't know. I haven't thought about this in a long time. I have not allowed myself to even think about all this. I have done what I can to be happy as a preacher, to be happy with what I'm doing. And I've found some sense of happiness in it. And I'm, I'm at peace with it. And I said, but do you love God? Are you in loving with God? Do you find God's loving in what you're doing? And he looked at me, and he looked, he looked at the door at the back to make sure nobody was there. And he says, I think I have a couple of times. But I've been doing this for 20, I think it was 22, 23 years. And I only know it a couple of times. He said, once when I was baptizing someone, I felt this loving come present. And he said, I prayed and prayed for that to come back, but it hasn't. And once when I was at a funeral and we were saying goodbye and I was pronouncing this person's death and releasing their soul to God, in that very moment that I said that, I felt this loving come in. And it was the same as that loving I felt at the baptism. And I have cried out, I cried out and cried out, wanting more and more of that. But I never got it. It only happened those two times. And he said, I'm kind of mad at you because now I'm missing that again. I had forgotten about that. And when you said that in the moment about how you knew the wholeness of God's loving inside of you, and you were only experiencing a part of it here, 
that reminded me of what I was missing. And he says, I'm happy that you said that. I'm happy that you're here today. And I'm mad as all get out at the same time because I didn't want to remember this. He said, this makes it hard to be a preacher. I'm supposed to be the one up here loving God and sharing that with others. And to me, God is discipline. God is hardship. God is difficulty in the world because it's been that way for me. So that's what I preach. And I said, do you want to know something different? And he said, I don't know. He said, you're the first person I've met in a long time that really scares me. He said, can I get your phone number and let me think about this and I'll call you. Well, months and months, I mean, I forgot all about it. Months went by. Never went back to the church again. And I wonder why. <laughs> and, um, and he called me. And he didn't say Reverend. He said his name. And I'm kind of going in my mind, okay, do I know him from high school? You know, where do I know him from? Um, and he, he said, okay, uh, could you come back over and let's talk? And I'm, I'm going, well, can you refresh my mind as to how you know me? And so he started telling me, and then I remembered it was this, at this Baptist church. So I said, sure. And so I went over, and he didn't want me to come to his house because he didn't want me to meet his wife, and he didn't want his wife to know what we were talking about or anything. So we met back in the church, and uh, we went inside and sat down, and he just started crying. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried. And he said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot stand up here tomorrow and tell people about God when I know now I don't know God. I just know the little piece of God that you talked about. And I can't do this anymore. And he said, tomorrow, I think I'm going to tell them I'm quitting. But if I do, I don't have a job. I don't have a way of making a living and my wife is going to kill me. <laughs> and he said, I'm not blaming you. I'm not putting this on you. You've been the best blessing in my life because you have begun me on a great quest. I've got to find out what this pain is inside of me, what this longing is inside of me, what this emptiness is inside of me. And I know now more than ever because I've tried to do all kinds of things over these last few weeks to try to stop this feeling from, from coming on me again. <clears throat> And he said, you know how I stopped it the last time? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> and he said, I started drinking. I started drinking. And my wife got mad at me. My kids were mad and upset with me. But I needed to quench it. And you know what? A Baptist minister isn't supposed to drink. <laughs> that set me into great turmoil inside because I was doing exactly the opposite of what I was telling everybody else they could not do. And it set me into great, a great split inside because of that. But the pain stopped after a while. I stopped drinking, and I hadn't felt it up until you showed up at the door. He said, I'm not going to drink, but I want to know, how do you know God? 
How do you know this wholeness of God? How do you experience it? What is it like? And how do you get there? And so I began to talk to him about the kind of prayer I have done in my life and the meditations I was learning about inside. And I asked him to open a Bible to the phrase, the one thing in the Bible that he liked the most in all of the Bible. And he said, that's easy. I don't even need a Bible. He said, it's the Lord's Prayer. He said, that's the most favorite thing in all of the Bible is the Lord's Prayer. And I said, so what is it about the Lord's Prayer that you like the most? And he said, it's a promise. There's a promise in there that I will be forgiven as I forgive others. He said, I love that promise. And I do everything I can to always be forgiving of others. Because I know that one day God's going to look at me and said, I will forgive you as you have forgiven. And that's been my eternal hope and my prayer that that does truly happen. And I said, so when you forgive others, what do you experience? What do you experience? And he says, I feel my anger. I feel my frustration. I feel my need to make them uh, better or understand that I'm right. I have all these different things come up, but eventually I find a place in the forgiveness where I truly enter into accepting and loving them. And I said, that's where God is. That's where you're going to find God. If you will find that in everything you do, you will find God. I said, that's exactly how I found God. Not in the exact same way that you're talking, but that's how I found God. Move into the depths of that. And I said, you know where to find that that is the Lord? In that center of forgiveness? In that place of forgiveness moving into loving? I'll tell you where. Forgive yourself. And he started crying again. And he says, I can't forgive myself. God's got to forgive me. I can't forgive myself. I've done too many horrible things in this life. I said, you, a Baptist preacher, have done horrible things? He said, I'm human first. I'm a preacher by profession. And he said he wanted to know about forgiving himself. 